This is Action Sports Jacks with Brent Martineau on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Pat, I don't care. It's tough that professionals get, they have a tough time tackling me. So everybody who has the comments, just meet me in the hole one day. Let's see if that works out for you. <laughs> meet me in the hole one day. Uh, that's a good response from CJ Anderson, the big Rams running back, who, by the way, was really just let go by two teams. And now all of a sudden is here at the Super Bowl. You gotta love those stories for some. I mean, we talk about Dante Fowler could have been on a 5 and 11 team that was home early. And now he's playing for a Lombardi trophy, CJ Anderson. And he's had a heck of a workload and this kind of mystery injury of Todd Gurley. I mean, not exactly what it is, but how severe because he dresses, he starts, he goes to play. And then all of a sudden he's not in there a bunch. And, and you know, it's because of injury. If you're going to use a back, you're not going to pick CJ Anderson over Todd Gurley. Uh, but Anderson has done the job. And it, I think it's tough for teams, Austin, because you're used to Gurley's style. You prepare for Gurley's style, and then all of a sudden you get this big Natron Means kind of back yeah. that you have to. That's a different kind of style of guy that you have to be ready for. And you thought you might only need to be ready for maybe four or five times a game. Now all of a sudden he's coming at you 15, 18, 20 times a game. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we're talking Todd Gurley. Here's a guy who's great in space. You can you can throw him balls. You can toss it. You can do whatever you want with Todd Gurley. C.J. Anderson, you know, probably not going to catch too many balls out of the backfield, but at the same time, this is a guy that can run between the tackles, lower his shoulder, deliver a hit. And anytime you have one of those guys on the team, you know, you, you definitely have to game plan for it. And, uh, you know, being a, being a player who played against Brandon Jacobs with the New York Giants, man, uh, Going against those tough bruisers, man, it takes a toll on your body for sure. And obviously, Derrick Henry is that way now for yes. Tennessee. I mean, it's just a different style. And um, I guess Natron means is kind of who he reminds you, like, right? Body, yeah. st- yeah. body type wise, exactly. that, that big dude. And yeah. I mean, Jerome Bettis, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we've seen Bettis here this week, and um, he's got that bowling ball kind of style. And it, it's not the most fit guy mm-hmm. that you know you don't associate with, but. Uh, Interesting uh, way to handle uh, the question about being a, a little bit on the heavier side <laughs> as a running back. You know, I think it's kind of fun. Doesn't yeah. doesn't it brings like a fun element oh, of, of that big guy running the ball and doing it so well. Well, and especially at that position. You know, I mean, obviously you're going to see big guys uh, on the defensive and offensive lines, but you know, at a more skill position like you know playing the running back. Uh, Having that body type, I mean, as Jerome Bettis, and remember from my childhood and whatnot, but you don't always see that. I mean, you're kind of used to seeing guys like Ezekiel, you know, wearing the crop tops all the time, showing off the abs a little bit. So having C.J. Anderson come in, it's it's kind of refreshing, actually. All right, uh, let's talk more about the commissioner, Roger Goodell, and his news conference. That's a big story here on the Wednesday because it just got done, and I don't really think there were these enormous headlines. Once again, we just said it, but the I'm telling you, it was some 80% of the, the, the conversation about the Saints game uh, a couple of weeks ago and and I I think I think people want to hear from Goodell we talked about this all last week they just want to hear like I'm sorry and here's how we're going to fix it I don't really think they heard that I think I think he basically said we were sorry that's why we called and all the communication and we are going to look at things so that's translated to hey we're going to try to fix it and we don't want to see it happen but he he also talked at length about the human element of football and the human element is going to exist and they're not going to have robots out there making these calls but one thing that has been proposed from adam schefter he reported this earlier in the day and i want to see if anybody likes it here or not but the idea that a coach could challenge a judgment call because i thought goodell brought up a good point the one thing that made that situation tough is there was no flag thrown Mm -hmm. we forget that element 
it wasn't like they threw a flag, took it away, or threw a flag, and, and it was the, the error in judgment was by throwing the flag. They never made a call. So the proposal is, whether they throw a flag or not, the coach challenges it on a judgment call, and if it, the coach is wrong, if they don't view that, that, that it was absurd, and in this case they wouldn't have, maybe there's a runoff of time or a flag gets thrown against the team, like it or not. It's like you said, I mean, we definitely have to have some kind of solution. At the moment, I think that's probably the best solution you can come up with. You know, I mean, if you can throw that flag and challenge uh, the call, I, I'm all for it. And, and, and I know there's going to be argument, well, it stops the flow of the game. But at the end of the day, I mean, between commercial breaks, between timeouts, an extra 20 seconds or whatever to throw a challenge play, you know, challenge that call, uh, is not going to, you know, affect the flow of the game that much. So um, from that standpoint, I really don't see any drawbacks to having that rule. I really don't. Well, here's the deal. I, I don't mind. I think it would be interesting. I don't feel like it's too gimmicky. I think we could get used to it. Remember, hey, these red challenge flags felt gimmicky at the times, and yeah. we're now used to that, right? Yeah. We get used to these things. I don't care about pace of play. Mm-hmm. I think the pace of play thing is just a – I think it's a lazy excuse uh, often. One, should we do replay quicker? Most likely we should. Because You know why we should do replay quicker? Because of what I always say. We should be using replay when you have to jump out of this seat and say that was a bad call. That, in my opinion, is where replay should be used. Not did the nose of the football maybe touch the ground. I, I think like that Edelman play that got reviewed in the AFC Championship game, I don't think that's what replay should be used for. That slows the game down. Now, were they right? Yes. But, you're again, these are judgment calls. You're going to miss them. You know how many holding calls they miss? They miss a lot of them. Mm-hmm. The cameras and the TV audience has made it all different from that perspective. Did they get the call right? Yeah, and I know that's the main goal as much as possible. I still believe that it's not – you don't need to give this to the coaches. You give it to people in New York, and if there is a call like that – you know, I'm not – I wouldn't even have probably use this, this buzzer from New York to the officiating crew in whatever city you're talking about. In the Miles Jack situation, because I'm not quite sure in live action that was a play, and even on the first replay was a play that you said, "Oh my gosh, they got that thing wrong." Now you could you could assume he did, mm-hmm. they did, but you almost had to see that a few times to say say, "Wow, that's egregious." And at the same time, they blew the whistle, so I think that's a play that you really don't know where it's going to go. You can't like award a touchdown. This is totally different, and I think we're going to find that. These plays, these decisive plays, first of all, are only going to happen later in the game. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That you can absolutely say, wow, that's really changed the outcome of the game. I think if you use that three, four, five, six times from New York to a place, I don't think that's going to bother people if they get it right. This is worse. It's worse not getting it right, and there's nothing you can do because nothing happened on the field that day. Instead, we just complain about it for two weeks. I'd rather have somebody say, hey, we got to take a look at that. That looked wrong. Let's try to fix that. And you know what? If the person hit the buzzer by accident and it doesn't work, so what? You go back to football. What kind of calls are we, are we making here, though? I mean, obviously the pass interference would be big, but are we going to call holdings? Are we going to do roughing the passers if it, if it was roughing the passer? And I mean, for no. instance, so Tom Brady gets an eyelash batted against the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you pick that flag up? If, 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 if you're in New York watching that game, do you pick the flag up and say that wasn't a penalty? I would simply ask you this question. 
okay? Mm-hmm. And you're a little different because you're a football guy and you can pick up on this thing. But you've got to watch it from my perspective, my wife's perspective, and my kid's perspective. When Tom Brady, there was that uh, rough in the passer call, which was an eyelash, yes. right? And shouldn't have been. In live action, you couldn't tell. You needed the slow-mo camera for the third time to go tell. And holding, listen, an egregious holding that gets missed. The person on the couch down in St. John's County doesn't really know that. Now, some football people think they know it. And, again, to others' eyes. But I need you to tell me from my wife's eyes and my kids' eyes and my eyes that that was an egregious hold. That's not going to happen. This play, America jumped off their couch and said, you got that wrong, and I don't even need a replay. And that's my point. How many times does that happen in a season? Not much. But at least you have a mechanism in place to be able to say, we're, we're going to get it right. We're going to get it right. We're not going to cost the team either a playoff berth, a win, which is hard to come by in the NFL, or even in this case, a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think it's that disruptive. I would think most of the time nobody even sees it going on, knows it's going on. And I would imagine if there were, what, there's like 260 games played in the, in the NFL season, something like that. Yeah. I would imagine that kind of play that we saw probably only happened, you know, a half a dozen times. A handful of times. Yeah. That's not a lot. Which also goes to the point of Roger Goodell saying, hey, our officials do a pretty good job most of the time. You know, they do. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not getting into those little nose of the football stuff or the holding call to your point. I think it's a fair question. But you're not jumping off the couch at a holding call. But we're not talking about putting fans in, in that booth in New York, Brent. These are NFL like officials. The, the, these are NFL elected people that are watching this game. So they're going to view the game differently than you know some random fan in St. John's County. Yeah. You know, so, so so to say, well, only you know call like the blatant ones, the ones that are going to affect the game. Well, a lot of players can affect the game, and everyone watches football differently. I gotta believe if you're an NFL elected official and you're in New York. You're going to call it pretty tight because you're going to see a lot more stuff than the, than the casual fair. NFL fan. Good point. So while I do agree with that, and, and I think it's a pretty good idea that you're bringing up here, we really got to establish what exactly can get called and what can't get called. I, th- I think that would be the, the first step in uh, going forward you know, with this plan. Well, most everything is replayed now. Turnovers are, touchdowns mm-hmm. are, plays are if you, if you don't run out of challenges, which very few people do. I mean, very few teams run out of the challenge because they're challenging something. The, some, the ones that they don't win are because they're going to take a gamble and they don't think they need the two challenges during the game. So I, I think what we're really saying is, should you be able to change a judgment call? And like I said earlier, should you be able to change something that a flag wasn't even thrown on? And I think those are fair questions. I really do. But I think if it's so egregious that we talk about it for 10 days later and we all knew it was the wrong call, and Goodell has to call the moment the game is over and apologize to the other coach, which how many times has that been done in NFL history? <laughs> if they have to do that, we need some kind of mechanism in place to say, hey, guys, you all missed that. It's not easy down there, but you all missed that. And we're going to do something about it in the next 10 seconds, not in the next 10 weeks. Agreed, and I think we can all agree, you know, we're, we're sitting here trying to come up with ways. There's not a perfect system, and there's not a perfect way to do this. No. You know, I mean... The, it's imperfect, which is it, okay. It is Mike Smith said it yesterday to yeah. us. Yeah. So going forward, um, you know, I, I hope they come up with some kind of rule where it's the fact that you can challenge, and, and it's in the coach's hands. Um, I think going forward, that's probably going to be the best play. Uh, 
I'm not opposed to your actually your idea with you know going to the officials in New York or whatever like that and kind of letting them monitor it. But once again, we have to define the rules of what can and cannot be called, and then I think we'll we'll, we'll be a little better from there. And by the way, the communication has to be good because if it's anything like this Ethernet line the oh, NFL has given us, that might be a bad option. <laughs> so uh, they got to be good. They got to yes. be crystal clear. It's got to be uh, able to get the message really quick. Okay, one other thought on the Goodell stuff from today, and I caught this and. If you read it in print, if you even read it in my tweet that I sent when he does this, uh, when he did this this afternoon, I don't think it's going to be like, wow. It's not going to be one of those reads. But I think if you heard him say it and kind of the context he used to say it, I thought it was really interesting when it comes to London. He was asked by Richard Graves, who works for Sky Sports, uh, and might come on with us, by the way, later in the week, about the possibility is there still momentum for London to get a franchise? And how is it all working? Well, there are four games again in London this year. Listen, that part is working fantastic. Those games are sold out. More and more people are getting excited about football in London. You can't debate that. We've been over there five, six years in a row. We see it. Uh, there are more jerseys. The Jags actually have a good following over there. But what I thought was interesting is Goodell basically said, we know the fan interest is there. We know the stadiums work. We know there's momentum for it. But what we really don't know how to do is the competitive nature of having a team over there playing all their games or, or their season and being located there and how that impacts them and also the other 31 teams. We don't know. He basically said our arms are up in the air and we don't know how that will impact our, our league having a franchise over there and he said until we figure that out we are not nfl ready and i'm telling you the way he said that to me where everything has been pointing toward okay let's push a team over there push a team over there made by 2021 made by 2022 i know the i think it's mark waller was doing all the stuff over there in london he since has been reassigned or no longer do i think they've actually my read into this is they've said don't worry about putting a team over there right now we're not even – forget yeah. about the goal. Let's just keep playing games, putting other teams, the mix of four. Maybe we get to five or six someday uh, of other teams playing, but we're not going to worry about a franchise. You know why? Because we also have this lockout looming, this work stoppage potentially looming. Things are going to already be hard enough. How hard do you think it is going to be to say, hey, 53 guys, go live in London for a year? Yeah. I don't think they want to deal with that right now. In my opinion today, what I read from Commissioner Roger Goodell is – it's off the table for the foreseeable future to have a franchise there. Again, that's me reading into it, but that's what I kind of heard today when it comes to a franchise in London. And so that should, if, if you're one of those people that think the Jags are going to London, which I'm not. Yeah, there's uh, no way that's happening. I don't think it's, I never thought it was happening anyway, and I really don't think now after hearing Goodell today that it's happening for any franchise anytime soon. So what I always figured out with Goodell, I mean, Player safety is big and everything like that, but let's be honest. If really that concerned with the player well-being, you wouldn't have Thursday night games. Um, you wouldn't be, you know, make teams play Monday night and then have that short week. So, yeah, I kind of get the whole player safety, player personnel perspective. At the same time, if there's money to be made, Roger Dow's going to make it. I guess there's money and, in London, you know. And there is a lot of money in London. Um, to me, guys don't want to go play in London. I mean, guys enjoy the vacation. It's not a vacation, obviously. It's still a business trip. Guys may like going overseas and playing for a game, but but asking a grown man to move his family to another country to play football, th th there's no way that's ever going to happen. And 
And I understand it's a big market in London. They're trying to grow the sport as much as possible, and, and I think it's great that they, they play games in London over there. But just from a, a logistics standpoint, you'd almost have to have it where if a team was to play in London, you'd have to have eight games back-to-back-to-back away and then have eight games at home because, Brent, I've never been to London myself, but you've taken that plane ride. It's a long plane ride. So uh, imagine, you know, being a player, getting ready to prep for the game. All right, you play the game in London, and now we have to go someplace else to go play. It's just, logistically, I just don't see it ever happening. All right, so seriously, go back to 2014. Mm -hmm. You're on the Lions or wherever, and they say, hey, you're moving to London. Nah, probably not. No, you, you wouldn't be up. You wouldn't no. be like, hey, this is kind of cool for a year. No, no. I mean, we're gonna cool. give you extra money, Austin. It, it'd be cool to visit, but um, we're gonna give you a good place to live, logistically, good place to stay. No, there's no way, man. Absolutely not. And this is me in Detroit, man. Like I was in Detroit, and I'm saying no to London. So yeah, and and I think that that's why I think it's off the table for some time because they've got bigger problems with the players versus the league right now. Exactly. Going forward into 2021 in a potential work stoppage, I think it puts the London franchise talks the rest and again in jacksonville some people believe it could potentially happen outside of jacksonville a lot of people connect those dots get it off your mind people jags ain't going anywhere in fact no team is going to london on a permanent basis i would say for at least 15 years that's the earliest i'll give it 15 years that's the earliest marcel robinson joins us next with boomer siason on espn 690 team has earned its way here a lot of hard work. We've had our ups and downs, but ultimately we're able to earn the spot here and we're privileged to represent the AFC in this great game. And, uh, certainly a great matchup against an outstanding team uh, with the ramp. The always excitable Bill Belichick, New England Patriots head coach. You know, I probably don't spend enough time talking about Bill Belichick. We talk about Tom Brady a bunch, of course, but uh, Bill Belichick, many consider the greatest uh, of all time as well. Move over, Vince. Lombardi. Hey, what's the magic whiteboard saying, by the way? We got the video up on Facebook on ESPN 690. Yep. We got the video up on Twitter at Brent A.S. Jacks. Yep. We got the video up on YouTube. Go subscribe to our Action Sports Jacks channel. We are rocking and rolling this thing now. It's, it's, it's show 13, and I think we're figuring it out. So what's the whiteboard magic? Deep, deep thoughts from Austin Land right now. I want you guys to ponder on this one. Nothing is ever on fire. Fire is on things. Nothing is ever on fire. Fire is on things. What do you think? Those are deep thoughts. Yeah, those are very deep thoughts. Did did you hear that somewhere or did you come up with it? No, I actually heard it somewhere. Yeah, Yeah, you think I came up with that off the top of my head? I mean, I'm creative, man, but that's a different level. Give me a lot of credit. Let's be honest here. We do get drug tested, so there's no way I... Yeah, (laughs) that's coming from my head. Speaking of... uh, Well, not drug tested. (laughs) I was going to go creative. Action Sports Jacks Marcel Robinson checks in right now. Oh, wait, he doesn't check in until I turn his volume up. Now he checks in. I was going to say, speaking of on fire. Ah. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's what I'd go with. That's what you got. That's or agree to say, speaking of not wearing shoes uh, for the past two hours. No, no, no. My shoes are on. Okay. Yeah, Old it. stinky feet over here. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, by the way, uh, uh, scooter life is real, right? Scoot life is real. Uh, you, you... I think we're a little apprehensive to get on the scooter. Oh, I was feeling it. Mm-hmm. And then we lost you. Like, you were about a mile back. I, I just got it going. And now you're grooving. 
I was moving and grooving. In fact, by the end of the night last night, I was a little concerned for you. Safe, <laughs> quite honestly. We were all concerned for everybody, yeah. <laughs> when school life takes a hold, you just got to let it happen. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, hey, you spent some time last couple of days uh, talking to the CBS folks. We brought you on about Nate Brolson yep. uh, yesterday. Um, how'd that go, by the way? Brolson hit you back? Um... Or no. Have you even put it out there yet? No, not yet. You're like dressing this <laughs> thing up. Right? Oh yeah. And we have a lot going on in TV and mm-hmm. and radio, and so you haven't had time to put like no, this. I'm this I'm, epic. I'm being professionally responsible and pushing this off until at least the weekend. Okay. We want reaction though once it happens. Oh, it's going to be biblical. Uh, yeah. I bet it will. Uh, <laughs> NFL Network guys talk today, including Maurice Jones-Drew and and Michael Irvin and um, uh, Brian Billick and Sean O'Hara. So we'll have some of those conversations throughout the rest of the week. But you caught up with some of the QBs, yep. and obviously your guy Nate and our guy Nate yesterday. Right. Uh, Boomer and we've caught up with him before at CBS Media Day in New York. You know, I like Boomer's good. Boomer, obviously, you know, he was an MVP in 1988. I think people forget that. Yeah, I uh, he, he was a really good quarterback. I mean, really good. I think all these years go by, and you know him now as kind of a personality instead of a quarterback, and you forget how good guys like Sims and Esaias were. I mean, a lot of folks listen and obviously watch. But the younger crowd, they, I mean, you got to go Google and YouTube that guy. Yeah, I wasn't it's born been, yet. Yeah, it's been that long, I was, right? I was one when he won the MVP, so yeah, yeah. You know? I don't remember too and, much. And he was good, man. He was yeah. good, and he was lefty, and that was unique, you know? Uh, and obviously... Steve Young was the same, but it uh, now he's he's been controversial at times. He's a guy people don't love to love and sometimes love to hate, but that makes you good in this business too. Yeah. No, for <laughs> From sure. From a national perspective, especially, but I really do believe he's pretty insightful and and he knows kind of has a pulse of what's going on in Jacksonville. It seems a bunch when we've caught up with him in the last few years. Yeah, I think actually out of all the CBS guys that I talked to, he seems to have the the tightest grasp on what actually is going on in Jacksonville. Uh, I mean, obviously, we talked in the interview, which we'll hear in a minute or so. Well, we kind of not in too much detail about the quarterback position, but talked about just what's going on in Jacksonville and sort of kind of talking to him afterwards. You could tell that he's he really is. He's not one of those guys that kind of sees the box score and kind of just sees the narrative. He actually pays attention and knows exactly what's going on in and outside the locker room. Hey, listen, a lot of those guys do that, too, especially about the Jags. Might be just a headline reader. Um, but I do think because the Jags got relevant last year, really relevant, more and more people paid attention. More and more people had a pulse of what's going on outside of our region and the River City. Here's Marcel Robinson's conversation this week with Boomer Esiason couldn't ask for a bigger storyline and it's not just the quarterback position it's also the coaches as well you got Bill Belichick versus Sean McVay typically you give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare for anyone he's going to come out with a game plan which we fully expect him to do but Sean McVay being you know the new gun and kind of coming in with this high-flying offense how do you expect that to go well you know Bill Belichick is not unbeatable you know he's lost three Super Bowls two to the Giants and one to Philadelphia last year so you know the one thing I will say about Sean uh, Sean McVay that we found out this week he and Bill Belichick have texted back and forth all season long and what that tells me is that that's the validation of acceptance and credibility from Bill Belichick check to a younger coach 32 and the good news is he's got a really good solid young quarterback and foundation now for the future the biggest talker that's been going on the past two weeks is the penalties the uh, the possibility of maybe reviewing these penalties tell me kind of is that the way the nfl is kind of turning this way and what are your thoughts on whether penalties should be reviewable or not especially in crunch time situations like that i'd be really careful about putting pass interference in the replay category there are three plays that i would i would put roughing the passer defenseless receiver or uh, a blocker 
kicker, and I would put uh, running into the kicker or roughing the kicker uh, into the replay category. And if those uh, were in place last week for the AFC and NFC Championship game, we wouldn't have had a phantom roughing the passer against the Chiefs, and we certainly would have had a helmet-to-helmet against the Rams for the uh, for the Saints. So I think those are things that you can do to improve replay and hopefully get the calls right on the field. And one last question for you. We're reporting from Jacksonville. Obviously, last year the Jags, you know, right there, you could, one could say one play away, one whistle away, but this year, completely different story. They decided to go all in on Blake Bortles. That didn't seem to go their way. Tell me, how important is it for this team to get you know, the quarterback of the future right now? Because that window is really small. <clears throat> well, their window is small, and, you know, they've made some trades here, and certainly they doubled down on Blake, and unfortunately it just didn't work out for him. And when it doesn't work out for the quarterback, then there's going to be dissension in the locker room, and I think that's really what happened in Jacksonville, and I think we saw that towards the end of the season with T.J. Yeldon and, of course, Leonard Fournette and even Jalen Ramsey, uh, you know, who really had a hard time with the losing. So uh, they're going to have to figure out who they need to be as a leader of that team, and that leader has to be a strong-willed quarterback. Who that is, that's anybody's question right now, but there's definitely a, a move, I would imagine, to go get a new quarterback and somebody that is experienced to be able to get this playoff caliber roster back to the playoffs. Uh, a lot to unpack in that final answer from Boomer Esiason. So let's begin with uh, a couple of things. Let's begin with the last part that he just said. He says a veteran quarterback. Yeah. Okay? Um, I think that's good insight. And we've asked a couple of people around here, too. If you're a player on that team that has a little bit of a window, speak for the players, Austin Lane. Mm-hmm. You've got to feel better if there's a veteran guy like Flacco and Foles coming into the locker room than if there's some unknown, even if he's highly touted, like a Dwayne Haskins or Daniel Jones or Will Greer. Exactly. I mean, if you're a first-year player coming in, especially at the quarterback position where being a leader is so important, you got, you got to remember the fact that it takes time to build that relationship. It takes time to build camaraderie. These guys have never been in an NFL locker room before. So if you bring in a, a vet, you know, like a Joe Flacco or a Nick Foles, those guys have been around locker rooms. They, they know different personality types, and they, they know how to get everybody together. So ideally what you want to do, like I've, and I've, I've been preaching it since day one, I, I say I think you should bring in a, a free agent quarterback, either Foles or Flacco, and then draft high, obviously, and bring in like, like a Haskins or you know, so, so somebody else in the third or fourth round. All right, uh, Marcel, I want to ask you about the other part of that, though. He pretty much said because Blake didn't play well, he thought there was dissension in the locker room. Now, you got to be careful the way you interpret that. Maybe exactly the way he said it is that people were divided on Blake, right? That's kind of the way it was said. Right. But I kind of feel like he was trying to hint at, and you get a better feel of this, you talk to him, that quarterbacks, even when the locker room starts going its own way, that quarterback can bring everybody back in it, right? If they're the commanding presence in the locker room, they can keep everybody together with their play, with their attitude, with their leadership. So that's kind of the way I took that more so than, it was a divisive locker room on Blake. That's why Leonard Fournette didn't act like a pro, and T.J. Yeldon didn't act like a pro, and Jalen Ramsey talked so much, and Delvin Smith didn't act like I didn't. What was your interpretation? That's a, that's about what I gathered. He was actually kind of along the same lines that we've kind of been saying for the whole year. Is that really, um, you know, Blake's he's a cool guy. You know, he's that kind of laid back, chill guy. He's not the guy that's going to you know snatch everybody up, bring the whole offense after a turnover, and kind of rile everybody up and, and reel this thing back in. You know, like a Drew Brees or Tom Brady or you know Peyton Manning back in the day. Uh, well. 
few years ago, I should say, <laughs> not back in the day. But but yeah, I think I think that's kind of what he was alluding to because typically, you know, you have your offensive captain, your defensive captain, your positional captains, but you really need to have one person on that team that can bring all 53 guys together and say, look, if we don't turn this thing around right now, we're walking out here with an L. And I think that's the kind of – and that also comes with veteran leadership. I mean, we get that. Some of the senior bowl quarterbacks we talked to, they said that they can – they have that kind of attribute. They can come in and they can lead a locker room. But you got to earn that. And that, uh, there's no person that who can earn that faster than a veteran quarterback. Yeah, very well said. Uh, well said. And, and Blake, you did – I will give Boomer Science credit for that. I don't feel that about Blake. And a lot of that was because he wasn't playing well. Right. right? Like, I don't think Blake was a bad captain. We talked about the bad captains the Jags had this year. The fact is, when you're not playing well, captaincy and leadership and all that stuff is hard to do. It's like being injured. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're yep. you're pretty much irrelevant. You can't lead being injured. That's right. a hard thing to do. All right, uh, scoot life's for real. Sunglass life's for real. All day. Yeah, you know, the quarterback's got to be able to gather the divas, like Marcel Robinson. If you're watching on video, I mean, look at that. He's got the sunglasses out. You know, I'm inspired. When we talked to the playmaker, Michael Irvin, he had his shades ah, on. Ah, very good. Very we'll nice. hear from Michael Irvin. Good tease a little bit later on in the show. This is Action Sports Jacks with Brent Martineau on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Pod is, again, so unselfish and so um, such a good teammate. Um, I expect him to have a huge game this weekend. It'll be fun. More Super Bowl talk from Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta Rams. Patriots, 6.30 on CBS 47 on Sunday. And uh, we will be ready to roll and get you all set up. Uh, right now, no drama around the Super Bowl. There really isn't. Uh, I think Tom Brady did a good job of squashing that early by saying, hey, 0% chance I retire. In fact, the, the news out today is Robert Kraft is thinking of an extension. <laughs> with Tom Brady. Ten-year uh, extension. Yeah, it's unbelievable, really. Um, I, I, I doubt even in Robert Kraft's uh, wildest dreams he would imagine that he would have to extend Tom Brady uh, around the age of 41, 42 years old. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you got to lock that guy up long-term. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, and Willie McGinnis earlier today, I was over, uh, I tweeted this out, actually, and McGinnis, who played on those Patriot teams and part of it, part of the franchise and won Super Bowls, he said it. He, he said it right, and I think you even said this the other day, Austin. You won't see it duplicated probably in any sport. And I think he he took it a little further. He said not just because of the nine Super Bowl appearances or the five or six Super Bowl wins, but he said because of the player coach relationship. And you know, you might win five Super Bowls over 15 years. Somebody might do that. But it might not in this day and age necessarily be with the same quarterback or the same coach, and definitely not both the same, right? I mean, San Francisco won for a long, long time, but they did it with Montana, then Bill, Young. Montana Young, Walsh, and Seifert. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting if you look at it and go deeper that way. All the players that have come in and out of that locker room in New England – in and out of that building, but those two guys continue to be the same, and and uh, that continuity is probably unparalleled with the success they've had in sports. Yeah, I mean it's it's been remarkable, um, and you kind of when you say that stuff, you say it in the past tense, but it's no, it's still going on. It's it's been remarkable. It continues to be remarkable, and it will be remarkable as we go forward. That's the voice of Action Sports Jack's Stuart Weber. Hi there, hello, doing some work. 
for the yeah. TV side yeah, which moments ago. People can peek in and, and every, see what I'm doing. I'll tell you, if a kid wants to learn how to edit, you could put on a demonstration. Edit. Put it on a show. clinic. Look at Twitter and YouTube. Make sure the streams are looking good. Yeah. We're working. We're rocking yeah. and rolling. Yeah. And graphics. by the way, uh, feel free to comment on the streams. So we can see the uh, comments or questions. Uh, we can certainly do that. When we get back home next week, we'll be back to taking phone calls and all those good things. Brett Martineau, Austin Lane, Stuart Weber. Uh, you had a chance to catch up with some guys today from the NFL Network, uh, some of the names we know. It's it's really one of the the cooler things about the Super Bowl week. Uh, obviously, yesterday we had the opportunity to talk with the CBS broadcasters, and then today NFL Network. Um, and it, it's nice to, to get them in that kind of setting uh, where, you know, People from all the different markets are there sitting with them, chatting it up, talking about uh, whatever they want to talk about because uh, that's the funny part is that every market has different ways they want to lead a conversation, um, including us in Jacksonville, which uh, we have a lot of different ways we can take our conversations with these guys. And and it is interesting. I, I know Marcel was saying it earlier. Sometimes you wonder how much are these guys going to be locked into what's going on uh, down in Duval County. Uh, and, you know, Sometimes they surprise you. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do surprise you, though, and uh, and and really can can talk with you and say, hey, this is one of 32 NFL teams. We should probably know something about them. And by the way, the NFL Network now they've built a roster. Yeah, you know, no, just like CBS has Romo and Nance. And, they had a two deep, yeah, two deep roster. NFL yeah. Network has built a roster of, I think it was six Pro Football Hall of Famers they have on display here this week. Yeah, yeah. You know and. You know, think about the Pro Bowls all in there, and it, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, they've done a good job, and they found the talent, uh, the former player talent included in that. Maurice Jones-Drew, we'll hear from Maurice coming up uh, a little bit later on in the week. But these guys are good. They're insightful. The people like it. They like hearing from the players. They like the stories Austin Lane shares, um, and, and they like the analysis to kind of take you to a place uh, very few people can take. Yeah, and uh, today I had the, the chance to, to speak with Michael Irvin a little bit, and uh, the, the conversation was going towards, you know, the the young electric quarterback Patrick Mahomes and just how he's kind of changing, changing the game as it were in the NFL. So uh, we talked a little bit about Mahomes, and that led to a discussion about the Jacksonville Jaguars. We had quarterbacks that stay still and just got rid of the ball. Now we go from that to the Aaron Rodgers. We're moving around, getting rid of the ball. And now we're coming to Patrick Mahomes. The guy's moving around, standing still, ain't even looking at his receiver <laughs> and throwing the ball. It, it's phenomenal when you think about that, that process that, he, that he's going through. And now everybody's looking for a young Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, no doubt. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him a lot of years. We're in Jacksonville. They're looking for a quarterback again. How hard is it to find that guy, that quarterback, to, to lead your team? Yeah, it, 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 listen, nowadays, it, it's so hard to find. It's, it's still difficult to find that quarterback. But you get more bites, more turns at the apple now because of the salary caps. Um, holding down some of the rookies, some, the money you pay the young quarterbacks, you get to keep the ties on them for four or five years before you have to worry about them. Uh, and, and if they don't work, you're, you're not stuck with a whole lot of money on the cap. That's why I'm surprised Jacksonville did what he did, you know. And they kept it. They, they tried to stay pat at the quarterback position, and, and things didn't work out. Now I like Blake Borders. I like the kind of guy he is. In the meetings I've had with him, but 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 Jacksonville, we talked about this before, should have made a move. 
for one of those quarterbacks with all that they have had um, all around. And, and look how that thing just tanked and went the other way. It just tanked and went the other way. Now, hopefully they can pick it back up this year if they find a good quarterback that can, can, that can, that can do them right or maybe they go ahead and trade for Nick Foles or get, get you know, get somebody that, that somebody's letting go. Um, but, yeah. That was that. That's hard. That was hard to watch. That's some, I was most surprised about Jacksonville's turn. And a lot of was. that has to do with that blending of not just the physical talents, but yeah. you, like you said, that locker room. In there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and but, but that, that, it'll be interesting to see what they do because that that that's where it broke down in that locker room. It was all the defense was doing great. Sooner or later, that that thing breaks down. Guys, we can't keep holding up like this, and and you guys keep paying them. And think about it: the quarterback's getting paid the most money, and and everybody's focused on him. Like, man, you the call was going through this. That's just a hard. It's a hard thing to have in your locker room. So you get a little bit of that hindsight is 2020, talking about ah, they shouldn't have re-upped Bortles. Oh, they should have gone and got another quarterback. Which it, it's easy to say now. Um, of course, when you're in that situation. Uh, no one's thinking that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, every well, some people were thinking yeah. it. to their credit. Some people said it, uh, and probably a lot of people said it. Uh, but I still think it was very tough to do coming off an AFC Championship game. I mean, if you're in that building, if you're in the what he had done to progress. Uh, later this week, I'll probably share some thoughts with Brandon Allen, uh, Jags practice squad guy, third string guy, sixth round pick, now with the Rams. And I caught up with him earlier this week, and I asked him. I was like, hey. December and January last year, didn't you think Blake was about ready to take this next step? Even September this year, you know, you kind of thought, okay, here it is. They were patient. They waited. Good by the organization. They actually have, you know, a payment structure from a salary standpoint that's not crazy. They can get out of it as long as he plays halfway, you know, and then bam, all of a sudden. So I get the people. There were some people that said, hey, we knew this right away. It just wasn't really feasible. The only feasible thing was, or the right thing to potentially do, and I think you can criticize the organization, is they didn't bring up a plan B. Plan B was, well, not really a plan. You know, not really drafting a young guy or bringing in, you weren't going to bring in a high-priced free agent, not after you just extended Blake, but going to get a young guy already. Exactly, and coming from Kaufman, who, who preaches competition, who, who preaches getting the best out of their players, the fact that they didn't bring in some guy, I mean, either a free agent or a rookie, to try to push Blake Bortles to see exactly what he's made of, um, obviously they kind of backfired in the end. You know, I mean, Bortles did what he did this year, this past year, and he's probably out of Jacksonville now. So you, you would have loved to see him bring somebody else in as well, just to try to compete with him. And I'll agree with what Michael Irvin said. It was hard to watch. Yeah, it was hard to watch. It was it was a tough watch, I think, because everybody got excited, even outside of Jacksonville, to see some of the talent on this football team. And I think what he said, he liked Blake Bortles, much like everybody in, in Jacksonville said, "Oh, oh, I'm rooting for this guy. Let's do. It. Let's see if he get, he's got it." And for a little bit there, it looked like he had it, um, and and just not enough of it. Uh, what's interesting to me as we listen to more and more people, they say what, and we've talked about this, that. Flacco Foles is probably the way you'd like them to go, that veteran quarterback, to win right now. But we know also, what do we say about the Rams? Win on the rookie deal of the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Not with a $22 million quarterback, but on the rookie deal. Well, is that the smart way to go? But it's a 50-50 proposition at best. So uh, it's a pickle to be in. I think it's hard to do. Get both. Well, and then you get both. 
and, and you certainly, and that's what we think they're going to do anyways, revamp this position. The question is, if they do commit to a Foles, who's a younger guy, Flacco, it makes perfect sense yeah. to draft one and yeah. have it. Yeah. Foles, depending on how much it costs you and his age, do you really have to commit an early pick for a QB? I think it's, I'll tell you what, they must go in circles on this topic. I would, I know we at do. this time, we all do, I think. I I would hesitate to say they're committed to one way or another at this point. Now, they've got another month or so before the league year happens, and they really have to make a decision on that front. Decision one is to say goodbye to Blake Bortles. Fallen and fallen when we come back on ESPN 690 from Radio Row, Super Bowl 53. Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 Anajar and Levine Studios, here's your host, Brent Martineau. Welcome back here to Radio Row, Super Bowl 53. Wow, did you just get food? I just got food, man. So did I. Outstanding. Thanks, man. Formel chili. Okay. So we got some chili and and chips. Oh, this is fantastic. That's the winning combination. My gosh, how did that happen? It happened because I'm hungry and I saw this guy walk around with some chili and some cheese. So, what, and you some put chips. your hand up in the oh, air? Oh, yeah. I was like, is that what you did? You waved over them over here, sir. Oh, yeah. I waved them over, man. Nice job. Somebody All right. Balling and falling segment. That's balling. Yeah, that is balling. I'm hungry, too. Uh, So, we starting up here? Well, or yeah, we are. are but I trips? still kind of want to talk. I don't really know what to do with this now. Look at that right there, folks. That looks good if you're watching on That's... the stream. That's good. I'm not mad at that. Nope. All right. I'm not mad at you. All right. <laughs> balling. Uh, speaking of another guy. Who looks good. All right, just that was a horrible segue, but uh, <laughs> ball is Rob Ryan. Uh, saw him. Wait a minute, he, you said he looks good. Oh, I mean his hair, man. The, the, I'm, I'm about the hair. Uh, yeah. I don't even know if no, Rob man, Ryan's about, mob says that. It's, it's all about the hair. I mean, uh, but I'm, I'm going ball on Rob Ryan. You know, he just got a new job with the with the linebackers at the Washington Redskins, coaching them. Um, he's by, by far the best hair on the sidelines. Clay Matthews was up there for a while, but. Man, Rob Ryan's on a different level, especially with that beard, uh, kind of rocking that wizard look. Uh, I saw him uh, about about an hour ago walking around here, and yeah, dude still uh, seemed to be liking it, loving football and stuff. So, interested to see what he can bring to Washington. Yeah, the Ryans are interesting, right? Uh, just the whole, obviously the whole family. Um, but I think David Garrard tells us that he loved playing for Rex Ryan. Yeah, loved one of the ultimate player coaches. Yeah, I feel like. and uh, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, those guys. I would imagine Rob Ryan's kind of a sim- similar way. Yeah, yeah. He feels like he'd be good to play for. Yeah, like just fun. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, like, Rob, it, it's those coordinator guys, and not Rex Ryan. Obviously, he's more of a head coach guy. But uh, Rob Ryan and now Wade Phillips. Yeah. Those guys have interesting personalities, right? They kind of come in all different shapes and sizes, sure. and you get like the the mad scientist kind of guy. Uh, I mean, heck, you get your Todd Wash, who yeah. looks like he's ready to hop on a motorcycle. And uh, up and everything. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, and then you get your Rob Ryan's of the world. It's an interesting cast of characters where I feel like the offensive coordinators, they all kind of look the same. Yeah. They feel the same. Mm-hmm. They got, like, the pencil behind the ear. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the offensive coordinators that I've you know, i come across on the teams that I've played for, they seem more of, like, uh, I guess they have, like, an analytical approach. There you you know, uh, as opposed to a defensive coordinator where it's, like, you know, passionate, in your face, yelling. And, and, I mean, you know, not to take away from Coach Tuck. I mean, Coach Tuck was a great coach. But, you know, he was an, he was an intense individual, man. Yeah. And, um 
I think every single defensive coordinator I played for uh, kind of had that mystique about him. And obviously you were around him a little bit more, but I, I would say just to take that one step further, mm-hmm. sum it up as, do, do the defensive guys have more personality than the offensive guys in terms of from the coaches in, in your experience? Um, I wouldn't say more personality, but but it's definitely more of a, of a passion um, because, I mean, that's kind of the whole defensive persona. Yeah, you it's know? the I mindset. Mean, yeah, it, it is the mindset. If you're on offense, you know, it's more mechanical. I mean, it's got, it's like a yeah. well-oiled machine. Defense, man, it's you get out there and hit somebody. Yeah, go get so, it. Exactly. Um, so I kind of experienced that. But on the other side, though, if we're talking offense, offensive line coaches, man, might be True. some of the craziest dudes good ever. You yeah, know? yeah. So um, I think there's something about maybe just being in the trenches where, it, you know, brings out the warrior of uh of nfl coaches yeah, it kind of does fit the position it does it? yes uh, absolutely uh, all right my turn for balling and well quite frankly people it's myself this guy hadn't played darts in like two decades which i don't know why i haven't played darts in so long because darts is kind of fun and cool yeah and so just to go back to last night we look for it took us what two plays three places and probably an hour and 15 minutes to find a dartboard yep. because Austin and Stewart got hung up on the dartboard thing. Like, they, they started talking trash. So we were back at the hotel, ready to pretty much call it a night in my mind, and all of a sudden it was, oh, you think you're good at darts? Yep. Bring it on. And I think Weber was doing a lot of the trash talking. Oh, I would say 95% of the trash talking was coming from Stewart. He's Weber. got one at his house. Yes. I mean, he's talking about... Like the rubber tips compared to the metal tips yeah. and uh, what, all this stuff. Yeah, not being humble. And so we finally find a place. Mm-hmm. Had to go back out, shorter night's sleep, and where were we? Oh, a place called Maggie's. Maggie's. That was like a pub kind of place. Yeah. The guy had to, like, dig for the darts. Yes. Like, this was so intense that we actually called places yeah. to find out if they had... Because some of, it was a little false advertising. Some of the places said they had it, and we went to Google the one, and they didn't have it. Let us down a little bit, So, yeah. anyway, long story short, which is already a long story, all five of us play darts. We, we do. play cricket. Yes. Well, and, and Stuart wanted to play 501, like, <laughs> 501, <laughs> 501. Yeah, I mean, if you, people don't understand that, that's not a game you want to play in a bar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand You don't know that. either. Yeah. But we play cricket. Yep. And I won. And for those of you wondering, Stewart, uh, dead last, right? Dead last. Okay, sorry, Marcel. So Marcel Stewart had four. never played darts. He was good. He did a good job. He had some swagger behind him. And uh, we were with David Hickox, who used to work at our place, and yeah. he was, he was uh, helped us find a place, and uh, he actually did a good job too. But there was it one came point, down to you and me. Well, there was one point where like Stewart hit like the literally the the bottom of the dartboard. It w- wasn't even like the dartboard. It was like where you put like a coin in or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It was actually it like was an that eagle. Low. Exactly. Right. And yep. he, hit he hit the eagle. Yeah, so uh, poor performance from Stewart. Obviously, I'm disappointed because I was kind of talking a big game, too. I, I play darts all the time back home. So the fact that you beat me, Brent, um, and I'm not going to knock your form, but you you kind of look like Randy Johnson trying to throw a slider. But, <laughs> hey, at the end of the day, you still got the job done, man. Props to you. And, and I got it done. Over the line, though. And, and see, there's this hashtag over the line that's yeah. out there now. Over the line. I was not over the line. Over the line a couple times. Don't want to say anything to you because you're the boss. I wasn't going to say anything to you, but uh, it was getting a little ridiculous of how much you were cheating and how close you were getting. Now, meanwhile, we got the six six guy who could basically reach out and touch the board. Hey, I mean, and you couldn't win. You don't say. You, you don't see like Dante Wilder 
complaining because he has a, a long reach. I mean, he used it to his advantage, and that's yeah. what I did to mine. And you got Triple Al and Iverson. Yeah, so a bad moment for you. Okay, I'm gonna bring that part up too. Fine. So no, I'm just uh, gonna say it in passing. Okay, yeah. People so, can interpret that the way they want. I, I what happens it. when you got a bad right. a, you got an Allen Iverson? So basically, what happened? I, I got a triple Allen Iverson, and uh, the results followed, and that's probably why I have a, I have a raging headache right now, <laughs> sitting on Radio <laughs> Row. So uh, we we did have fun. And it was a blast. This this is a new. This is not related at all, but. I have a dartboard at home that's been unused, and we really don't know where to put it. Yep. So we actually just moved offices. The Action Sports Shack's office has moved, and the dartboard is going in next week. I'm bringing it to the office, and it's totally unrelated. We were doing that before, and then all of a sudden we got on darts. So, like, I'm 1-0 and and hadn't played in two decades. Wait until you see what I am in, like, yeah. six months. Yep. Look out, people. All right, time for falling. Falling. You fell. I did fall. I'm, I'm still falling. My head is just... Doing mental gymnastics right now from hitting that trip Wyberson last night. <clears throat> Anyways, Fallen. Got to go to Maroon 5. Uh, uh, yeah. They canceled their press conference. A lot of people believe it's because they've been getting a lot of scrutiny on social media and by, and by the fan bases of the, of the Super Bowl. Listen, sometimes you got to face the music and so sometimes you got to stand up to people and you know answer the hard questions. So if I'm Maroon 5, I'm doing that press conference. I'm saying, hey, we're here to play the Super Bowl. We're going to put on a good show. Hopefully, play the SpongeBob song with what everyone's talking about. But if you're if you're a fan of the Super Bowl and, and you're a dude, I get it. Like you're probably not the biggest Maroon Five guy. I couldn't name five songs from them. But you gotta understand, they're trying to cater to a different demographic. Guys are gonna turn and watch the Super Bowl. It's just what guys do. You know, I think the whole Maroon Five thing was to get you know maybe more of the female audience involved because. Girls love them some Adam Levine, you know. You so and they do love the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. So as far as the hate online and whatnot, if I'm Maroon Five, I don't really take it the too seriously. But for whatever reason, they canceled the press conference, and uh, there's some there's some backlash. Yeah, with that. I didn't answer. I didn't listen to the full answer, but actually, Goodell comment. Somebody asked him that question: yeah. Why aren't they here? And uh, he answered it, and it. I think it was pretty, you know, predictable answer. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but whatever. Maroon Five's not here. They'll be there on Sunday, yep. performing at halftime. If you like them. All right, last one for me. It's real quick. I have a Pepsi in my hand, mm-hmm. and Fallen is Coca-Cola. We're in Atlanta, Ooh. and there's no Coca-Cola around here because of the NFL. Yep. The NFL is a Pepsi. Now, it's the one. there's a couple of stadiums, and Atlanta is one of them, where if you go inside the stadium, at least during like a regular game, they will have Coke. Okay. But all the other stadiums usually have Pepsi, like you know, if you're in the press box or yeah, somewhere yeah. else. But because it's Atlanta, I think they've worked out a deal where they have Coke, but not for the Super Bowl. And that's a mistake because I'm just saying Coke is way better than Pepsi. Yeah, but Pepsi is the choice of a new generation. Yeah. Or it was. I don't know what happened with that. I mean, Diet Coke is way better. All right. It's like the Christmas M&M's, peanut butter M&M's. Yeah. Our peanut M&M's are better than, like, the everyday M&M's. I don't know why. I'll give it to you. And, and like as far from like a soda standpoint, I'm just yeah, you don't drink soda, so you I, don't I, care. So I really don't care. Yeah. I mean, All right. I want to feel sorry for you, but I don't. And you beat me in darts, so I'm still kind of bitter towards you. And just the way it's going to be. That's balling and falling, and we might be about to wrestle. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.